Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. The SOAR project, which is an effort to improve the economy and recreational and educational opportunities in eastern Kentucky and Appalachia, is moving its summit to Corbin this fall. We'll be talking to the executive director of SOAR, Colby Hall, in just a bit. But first, Kentucky Agriculture Commissioner Ryan Quarles is here. Quarles, a Republican, has been critical of some of Governor Bashir's actions during the pandemic, especially the timetable for reopening. And Quarles has won two statewide races as Ag Commissioner, also is indicating he is seriously considering running for governor himself in 2023. So we'll ask him some questions about that. And in his current job, Commissioner Quarles was active during the pandemic trying to keep the Kentucky food supply stable. We'll ask him about that and that cyber attack that affected beef production in the country this week, including a plant here in Kentucky. Commissioner Quarles, welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers in person. We appreciate you coming. I'm glad in. to see you face to face. It's been a while, right? Yep. Uh, Kentucky's uh, restrictions and the mask mandate uh, are all about to be lifted next week on June 11th. Uh, you've been pushing, though, for that to happen earlier. Uh, the governor says he's followed the data and the science and that it's only now safe to reopen. Uh, you disagree? I think that all of us wanted to make sure that Kentucky had the best course of action possible over the past year and a year plus with making sure that we protect citizens. But at the same time, we need to make sure that with a vaccine readily available months ago, that we open back up. I simply made sure that we uh, gain support to make sure that Kentucky joins surrounding states with fully reopening. It's so important that, uh, that Kentucky catch up with other states and join states like California, Pennsylvania, cities like New York City and Washington DC that announced reopening before Kentucky. I think it's good that we're going to reopen, but I think we could have done it sooner. You think it, it would have been an incentive for more people to get vaccinated if along with that came the, the dropping of, say, the mask mandate earlier? I think so, too. And I think one thing that was a lot of built a lot of frustration this past year is that a lot of the executive orders and decisions coming out of the governor's office were illogical. They contradicted each other. Uh, for instance, uh, state government boards and commissions can meet at full capacity right now, but yet our restaurants are limited to 60% or 75%. And so I think there was a lack of public buy-in over the past year. I think we could have done a better job if we had more inclusiveness and we actually talked to each other in Frankfurt, but unfortunately, that was not the case. Well, as you know, uh, the legislature wanted to take control of the process and uh, uh, the response after a, a few months, and they passed a, a law that would have done that, given them the authority after a, a short amount of time to take over uh, an emergency response. Uh, if the state Supreme Court upholds that, as they have previously uh, under the old law, but now the, the new law is before the, uh, the, the court, uh, future governors wouldn't have that kind of authority. Uh, and I'm perfectly fine with that because the Kentucky General Assembly actually put Kentucky into a category of other states that already had sunset clauses on executive orders. I think that's a good thing. I don't think our framers or those who passed executive laws uh, years ago envisioned this to be ongoing and to last forever. I think it's good that the governor has to work with the Kentucky General Assembly. As a former legislator, I have great respect for the three branches of government, and I hope that the Kentucky Supreme Court, along with other court cases, that the governor is currently suing me over. I hope the court system uh, respects what we all learned in Schoolhouse Rock, that uh, when a bill passes, especially passes overwhelmingly in both chambers, if the governor chooses the veto, if it's overridden, that's the law of the land. And so I think it's so important that we respect the people's branch of the government, 
uh, and respect the rule of law and that if the governor doesn't like the outcome of what the General Assembly passed, I don't think it's right for him to run to the nearest court because he didn't get the outcome that he wanted. We see that uh, there are job openings across the state, businesses are trying uh, desperately and unsuccessfully in many cases to uh, fill positions and, and hire people right now. Uh, many Republicans have called on the governor to end this federally enhanced unemployment benefits, which is up to the states uh, to decide. That's right. It's federal money that's coming in. Do you think that this extra $300 a week is keeping people from going back to work? I think all you need to do is ask a small business owner across Kentucky who's desperate for help. It's, it's wrong when the private sector has to compete with the government with unemployment wages. It's time for us to get back to work and encourage Kentuckians to get back to work. You know, in my hometown of Georgetown, there's plenty of jobs. Starting pay is $18 an hour. And so I think it's important now that we have a vaccine readily available, that we're opening back up, that we encourage other Kentuckians to go back to work because the stats will tell you, Kentucky is falling behind our neighboring states with labor force participation. If we really wanna have economic development, it's about building businesses, employing people, and adding to our gross domestic product. As you uh, note, uh, several of the surrounding states, all of them governed by Republicans, and no Democratic governor has, has dropped the, the extra uh, unemployment benefits so far. But in places like Ohio, it, it has not cured the problem, though, when they have dropped that $300 uh, extra money for unemployment. Sure, but I think a lot of our business owners will tell you, including the Kentucky Chamber of Commerce, that this is one of many reasons why uh, people may be not joining back in the workforce. And so we need to make sure that Kentucky is as competitive as others. And we call upon Governor Bashir to join nearly half of the other states in our country with phasing this out. And look, this is an ideological difference between the governor and myself. When this extra bonus was passed and enabled by Congress, I don't think anyone intended it for it to be around forever. I think that, that as states reopen, they need to adjust their policies as well and help give our small businesses who are desperate for help an opportunity to employ Kentuckians again and be competitive with wages. Commissioner Quarles, you have uh, supported something you have called a back-to-work uh, bonus program, and I think that's something you've seen in another state that you think might work here. That's right, and so let's get creative. Uh, I'm all about finding solutions gonna help out uh, Kentuckians. And so one proposal would be, instead of uh, asking people to just come back to work, there is an opportunity to have a financial bonus that say if you go back to work, you're making under $25 an hour, and you've been successfully employed for two or three months, you actually get a bonus through the state for 1000 or $2,000. Arizona's doing it right now. I'm curious to see how it works out, but I think it's so important that we don't have the government competing with private businesses on unemployment wages. Uh, paid for by what funds? Well, there's plenty of federal money flowing through state governments right now, and I hope that the governor's office is using this money judiciously, not for political reasons. I hope that they use this money to help rebuild Kentucky in a better way, and I think it's so important that if we want our state to get back to normal, it's about meeting back in person, having some common sense, some Kentucky common sense, protecting those most vulnerable, but also jump-starting our economy by ending provisions that other states have already done. You readily acknowledge uh, hunger in Kentucky. Yes. It was a problem before the pandemic, during, and still is. And uh, you've worked on some food insecurity issues. How important is that, that that be on the radar here in Kentucky? It's vitally important. As you said earlier, before the pandemic, we had higher than the national averages on food insecurity. 
We saw a 30% increase in the number of Kentuckians going to food banks and food pantries during the coronavirus pandemic. Look, the government literally shut down businesses. People lost their jobs. And so the need to put food on our table is of upright and paramount importance. And so as we emerge from this pandemic, we encourage Kentuckians to donate to Feeding Kentucky. If you can't donate money, you can donate food. And everyone can donate a little bit of time as well. But as we emerge from this, it's so important, especially in these critical summer months, particularly if our school children have access to food. And we're going to continue to do that at the Kentucky Department of Agriculture. The pandemic was was tough on everybody, and the isolation uh, was certainly uh, another factor. And yet, uh, we uh, we had some broken supply chains and yep. food supply chains at times uh, were short. But all in all, farmers seem to be pretty resilient. That's exactly the word I would use. Uh, I grew up on a farm. We continue to farm in central Kentucky and we endure. And uh, 2020 was a tough year for a lot of folks, but for farmers, we were used to socially distancing to begin with out in the fields. It ended up being a pretty good production year for us. And so as we emerge in 2021, we're seeing some higher commodity prices. That's welcome news for a lot of our a lot of our farmers across the state. But I want to have one clear message today. There's plenty of food if you need help. Don't be ashamed to ask for it. We're going to take care of each other because that's the Kentucky way. We have uh, 160 or so farmers markets uh, around yep. the state. Uh, are they, uh, I mean, they had a special place in the pandemic. Are they back operational at this point, uh, full steam? Absolutely. And last year, I fought to make sure that farmers markets are open because we view them as no different than grocery stores. They across were our state. declared essential. Exactly. And so we hope that Kentuckians. Uh, harness this buy local movement. Let's not make this a fad of 2020, but let's make buying Kentucky proud, supporting local agriculture a permanent fixture. And oh, by the way, let's try to get more local food into our school systems as well. That's going to help everybody out. You know, this cyber attack on the largest meat processing company mm -hmm. in, in America this week was, was very eye-opening. Uh, we have a, a plant in Kentucky, I think in Louisville, that's right? right? Yep. Uh, that's associated with that company. Uh, you know, yet another threat to uh, the country's uh, uh, food suppliers. Uh, is this something we've got to, to guard against and be aware of going forward? Absolutely. You know, first uh, there was a ransomware attack on Colonial Pipeline. We saw what that did to gas prices, especially in the southeast. Now, unfortunately, there's a ransomware attack uh, against JBS, which does have a plant in Louisville. I've been on the phone. I've been in contact with that plant manager. Fortunately, they are up and running right now, and that's good news. But I hope that uh, the FBI and the White House take this seriously. It appears to be of Russian origins. There's, that's ongoing right now, the investigation. But whenever uh, there is attack, whether it's cyber or otherwise against essential industries in America, we must take this seriously. And I'm here working hard to make sure our food supply system is undisrupted. Do those companies have a duty as well to, uh, you know, report the activities and, and, and get the authorities involved quickly? Oh, I think so, because they want the problem solved just as quickly as we do. And I know that uh, when it comes to JBS in Louisville, they're, they're, they are open for business. They're working through the, pro the problems right now. But we want to make sure that, that other processors in Kentucky uh, have the opportunity to compete as well. In fact, we've put over $3 million of tobacco settlement money underneath my leadership and the Ag Development Board's leadership this past year in supporting Kentucky-based meat processors as well, mom and pop stores, so that we can help cushion our dependence on these national companies. And that's been a good thing coming out of the COVID-19. You bring up the uh, Ag Development Board and the other boards associated yeah. with your office. You made glancing reference earlier to another lawsuit. The legislature transferred power 
from the Office of Governor to the Agriculture Commissioner's Office for some important appointments. Uh, the governor has filed a lawsuit on that as well, saying that belongs at the uh, at the top level of the of the administration. Uh, you're saying that could uh, could affect things in the in the weeks ahead. We think so. The governor of Kentucky is suing the Kentucky Commissioner of Agriculture over the Kentucky State Fair. Uh, I'm going into my sixth year. Uh, I think we did a great job running the Kentucky, the Kentucky State Fair, but the governor, again, did not like what the legislative branch passed, and so he ran to the nearest circuit court judge in Louisville and is suing me over the Kentucky State Fair. But I'm here to say we're going to defend Kentucky agriculture, but more importantly, we're going to defend the three branches of government because I think that it's so important that if the legislative branch can't pass the law, just like we learned on Schoolhouse Rock, and make it the law of land, and the governor or the executive branch like myself doesn't respect that and they want it overturned, that's a serious problem. It's a serious problem, and so I look forward to having a normal Kentucky State Fair. We're working with Democrats and Republicans and everything in between. I'm not too worried about his lawsuit right now because I'm trying to do the best I can as Kentucky Commissioner of Agriculture. You have been traveling the state extensively, as you would do in uh, yep. in your capacity in your office, but you've made no uh, secret of your interest in the governor's race in 2023. Uh, is that your plan right now? I'm considering a run for a Kentucky governor in 2023, but right now it's 2021. I'm focusing on being the best commissioner of agriculture policy, and I have traveled the state because I've been working with our restaurants. As ag commissioner, I'm involved in everything foodie related from the farm gate to the dinner plate, and so when it comes to illogical uh, restrictions coming to the governor's office about uh, the constraints he's put around the restaurant industry, when we don't have the data to support it, that might be an area that's been uh, responsible for the spread of the virus, I think it's wrong. And I think we're gonna continue to, to support our friends in agriculture, whether it's in court, defending what we do, or stepping up and standing up for small business owners across our state. Do you have a timetable uh, in your mind as it regards a decision about whether to run for governor? I'm not. I, we're over two years out from this. I'm focused on being the best commissioner of agriculture policy possible right now. Bond companies and others take note of Kentucky's improving economic situation. Apparently there's going to be a surplus, $600 million or so this year, maybe more next year, we'll see. Uh, the economy is thriving as we head toward uh, those uh, elections in 22 and 23. Uh, does that remove that uh, as, as a key issue in, in the campaign ahead? Well, if anything, I think it's a compliment to the Kentucky General Assembly. You know, it's the legislative branch that crafts the policy and our tax policy in our state. It's not the governor's office. And so as we see revenue up surpluses, I think that's a compliment to those legislators that I once served with, both Democrats and Republicans, uh, for the, the conservative uh, practices they put in place and the laws that they passed. And so I think that's a compliment to the legislative branch. And if I ever once ever get a chance to serve in the governor's office, I'm going to work with our legislative branch and say thank you when thank you is due. A few seconds left. The state fair is coming up, and you say uh, it's going to be back to normal. That's right. We want to invite Kentuckians to not only visit the Kentucky State Fair, but your local state fair, your local county fair as well. This is a celebration of everything agriculture. Now with the vaccine readily available, we hope people get out buy Kentucky Proud and have a little bit of fun. All right, and happy dairy months as well, right? That's Just right, eat some ice cream. <laughs> All right, thanks for coming. We appreciate it, Commissioner. Thank you. Stay with us now on Kentucky Newsmakers, and we'll hear from Colby Hall from SOAR. Joining us next. 
Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. Shaping our Appalachian region, or SOAR, is dedicated to reimagining Kentucky's Appalachian region and getting things going. Its leaders often refer to 54 counties and one plan for prosperity. SOAR is moving its summit to Corbin this year after several years in Pikeville. Colby Hall is the executive director of SOAR, and he joins us on Kentucky Newsmakers. Thanks for being here. Bill, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me on your program. This was a big announcement this week about a, a new venue, your return to an in-person summit this fall. Uh, I, I know you're looking forward to some very important discussions uh, in Corbin in October. Yeah, and, and, and Bill, to be honest, we're, we're super excited that uh, uh, it's looking, I'm going to knock on wood here this morning, that uh, everything's going to be good for an in-person convening. Uh, at SOAR, we're, we're so, so blessed to have this central convening where we're getting a thousand people plus uh, to kind of come together and break down those county lines to talk about the vision and the plan for the future in Appalachia, Kentucky. So uh, we're really excited that that's going to be in person. You know, we had a virtual summit last year, Bill, and I think the, the good part and kind of the power stat that we took from it was uh, we had about a thousand people tune in virtually, but of those thousand, about 350 or 35% of them were first time attendees. And so we, um, as you said, we cover 54 counties and we're always thinking about ways to make sure that we're getting engagement and involvement from as many yeah. folks as possible from all of those counties. And the virtual summit showed us that access was important uh, as we got, you know, 35% new attendees, first time attendees. Uh, and so we're looking forward to hopefully uh, having uh, that number jump and continuing to attract that. Well first time attendees and, and a brand new audience this year as well. What happens when you bring all of those voices together, when everybody shares the, the, the cause of the region, the, the, the challenges that the region faces, what happens when, when everybody comes together and, and, and shares some thoughts? Well, I, it, it's something special. I, listen, we felt it yesterday, you know, in, in Corbin for the announcement bill, we probably had 200 people, you know, we had an outdoor, our original plan was to do it outdoor uh, right there in Sanders Park in downtown Corbin, but the weather didn't cooperate. And so we had moved inside to a, a venue right in downtown Corbin. We had about 200 people there. Uh, and when you bring all those people in, you're, you're talking about the potential and what makes our Appalachian region so special and, and really uh, build the, the competitive advantage. Uh, listen, I think rural America and Eastern Kentucky being a part of rural America is positioned really, really well coming out of this pandemic uh, to go straight up against some of the larger metropolitan areas across the country um, because the, the remote work revolution and, and breaking down the paradigm between where we work and where we live and those two things not necessarily being in the same place, that benefits us greatly. And so we talked about a lot of those things yesterday. And just in a room with 200 people, there was a buzz, there was a lot of energy um, and people really felt positive uh, about the, the, the future uh, across our region. And I think that's the beauty of the Source Summit as a convening is, you know, for, for, for so long or for, it always felt like that the story of Appalachia didn't get told the right way, all the ways, all the time. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of times that, that permeates down to, to, to residents inside the region. Well, the Source Summit's a, a direct answer uh, to the fact that as Eastern Kentuckys, we do have what it takes. And now uh, we're not just in a position to compete, but to win 
coming out of, of this pandemic. So, so we're looking forward to talking about that at the summit. So the national economy appears to be uh, building momentum fast, uh, the, but the new census numbers that are going to come out uh, soon, and some of them are uh, preliminarily out, indicate a continued migration out of the eastern Kentucky mountain region. Uh, is this goal to build a sustainable economy there that will attract newcomers, keep young people, or like yourself, have somebody who you went away to Atlanta and then you came back, right? Well, you're exactly. It's got to be both of those, Bill. And uh, listen, it, it's. Um, I want to say heartbreaking, but I have a lot of friends that were in a similar situation to me, and I, I felt so honored and uh, excited to be able to find the sore opportunity to bring me back to the region. But I'm telling you, I have a lot of friends outside, but originally from Kentucky and Eastern Kentucky, that are chomping at the bit to get back as soon as an opportunity can open up. So. You get the nail on the head, Bill. Population and population loss, that's the number one problem we're all trying to solve in eastern Kentucky. In the two buckets that we have to make sure we, we, we fill or that we pay attention to, one, retaining our best and brightest, right? So making sure that as kids graduate high school and as they graduate college, we've got opportunities to at least offer them where they're able to continue to progress professionally and personally and can do that right here in eastern Kentucky. But too, Bill, and I would say this is the reality that we're in now, we can recruit people outside, outside workers, those outside workers that can bring their wallets and their families to relocate here right now. Because again, um, a lot of folks are fleeing from, from, from higher density, uh, more densely populated areas from the coast, even in, in, uh, in, into the internal states across the, across the country. And why not a community like Corbin? Why not Pikeville? Why not Somerset? Why not Ashland? Why not more? Moorhead that offers a lot of those same types of amenities that you get in those places at a much lower cost of living. Um, so I, I think it's both of those buckets that we're going to have to look at over the next 10 years. I might say this, as you're, you know, attempting to attract young people, all of a sudden, and, you know, again, the pandemic obviously held some things back, but there is a lot of nightlife now and in downtown living in the small towns scattered around the eastern Kentucky region. How important is that, that those, those cities are kind of becoming attractive places to be right now for folks? Well, they are, Bill, and, and let's let's be honest. That you know, people in my my season of life, my generation, that they're, they're they're graduating college, they're they're having to, to pay attention to things like things like student loan debt. And uh, listen, I I love my time in Atlanta, and I love traveling around. But you know, paying thirty dollars for, for for a meal out or for all the entertainment options, you know, that that really it adds up. And so, being able to have access to the same types of entertainment, the same type of high, listen, I mean, look at Corbin for example. There's six downtown restaurants that are farm to table. I would put the food up against any place I've ever I've ever eaten before. So that type of decision making, where you can you don't have to, to pick or choose, that you can kind of get the best of both worlds, is going to be really really important to be able to offer our future workforce and younger generations to, to kind of sweeten the pot and, and, and a chance to get them to stay. Would you agree with me on this? One of the important things is to, to break down some of the old rivalries and function as a team uh, in, in, in SOAR's service area. Well, we, we, you're right. And listen, I, I, I grew up in, in Somerset, and so rivalries there are very similar to some other county, counties that I've, I've visited across Eastern Kentucky. And I, I don't want those, those high school rivalries to, to go away, Bill. There, there's something special about uh, whether you're involved in athletic events or academic events about being able to compete. and that's what makes being a part of a small town community and the culture of small towns across Eastern Kentucky so special. But you're right. Listen, as we graduate and as we try to think about the future of our region, 
really the only way for those rivalries to sustain is we have is, is we have the people in the region to sustain them, right? So there's got to be a point that once we graduate, uh, we, we realize that, listen, we're playing for Eastern Kentucky across our chest now and not our high school, and we've got to find ways to break down those county lines, find ways to work together. And I'll give you a great example, Bill, broadband, connectivity. Um, that's the first place where every county judge, every county judge executive, every mayor should be asking, how can we work together? Who can we bring to the table to get this job done? And if we don't do it, those rivalries are going to suffer in the long term, and, and we're going to be in less of a position to pass those down to future generations. Well, it sounds like you are going to have a lot to discuss at the SOAR Summit uh, coming up in October, and uh, people can sign up, as I understand it now, uh, if they want to attend. Yes, right? sir. Actually, yeah. Bill, we've got a flash sale so after the announcement, so I, I believe for, for $30 you're able to get access to both days. If you just go to our website, www.soar-ky.org, uh, there's a registration tab right there, and uh, we would love to see you uh, and anybody else in, in the Lexington area or any of your listeners tuning in from across All right. eastern Kentucky to, to, to show up in Corbin in October. Toby Hall, Executive Director of SOAR, thank you for being with us. Good luck. We appreciate thank it. Thank you, Bill. And Thanks we'll be back on Kentucky Newsmakers. Hello, I'm Greta Van Susteren, and here's your full court fast break. The 2021 Atlantic hurricane season starting this week, June 1st, and scientists predicting an above average season. They expect roughly 20 named storms and warn five of those could turn into major hurricanes. Now President Biden preparing the nation for the weather experts predictions. He is doubling emergency spending into a FEMA program that helps states and local governments prepare for extreme weather, putting $1 billion towards mitigation projects like building seawalls, elevating homes, and more. The Biden administration is also launching a new set of NASA missions. These missions will track climate change in an effort to build future resilience. Meanwhile, a tech giant and a nonprofit are teaming up to help Americans if tragedy should strike. In Atlanta, Amazon and the Red Cross are opening a new disaster relief hub. They say the partnership will accelerate response times, fusing the Red Cross's disaster response know-how with Amazon's delivery and logistics expertise. The hub will stock more than half a million relief supplies donated by Amazon that can quickly be delivered by air. The Atlanta location was chosen for its proximity to areas often hit by hurricanes like the Gulf Coast and Puerto Rico. Want more Full Court Press? Tune in Sunday. We bring politics home, covering the national stories that impact you. And a reminder that you can catch Full Court Press with Greta Van Susteren this morning at 1130 on WKYT. And that's Kentucky Newsmakers. Thank you so much for being along. We certainly hope you make it a good week ahead.